This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm your host, AC, and with me, currently down two to three, is my Boston Celtics fan, friend, and podcast guest extraordinaire, Vivek. Howdy how. <laughs> let, let, let me pose that question to you. How do you feel right now? Down in this series, it looked like it was swinging your way. That game five, Steph Curry, ice cold. It was there for the taking. And the Celtics couldn't get it done. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think I have mixed emotions, which is normal. Part of me still remembers in December where we were hoping to not even, we were barely making the playoffs. So a lot of this is gravy to begin with. So I can't feel too despondent. But, you know, the other part of me feels like the Celtics are the better team, you know, and, and, they said this during the Heat series two years ago when they lost, and it sort of feels the same way, that we're the better team and we're losing, which which is in some ways worse than when you're outclassed because you feel less bad. It's a lot more frustrating to watch on a daily basis. And then a third part of me still believes in the team because you know part of the finals, and I think this is, this is something people say in a lot of industries, not just basketball, but you, you are who you are, right? Um, you, you know, you might have moments where you, sw- you, you stray from your core mentality and your core self, but ultimately you are who you are. And I think both teams are showing they are who they are in the playoffs and in the finals. So the Celtics are a ridiculously talented team who at their best look like they can crush any team in the league, but also, you know, have these periods of time where their offense just collapses and where they turn over the ball for inexplicable reasons. And they're doing all of those things in these finals. But they are also the team that every single time, both in the season and in these playoffs, when you count them down, they respond. They're almost better. I feel better about them when they're down than when they're up. Well, there's a lot there, Vivek, that we could unpack. But I want to start specifically on on what you focused on a little bit with respect to their struggles offensively. And you said for no inexplicable reason, the Celtics have these times where they just turn the ball over, over and over again. I would argue that it's for a very explicable reason. And it's that they don't have a true pure one, nor do they have like a wing that you would consider a truly elite passer. Now, I think we have acknowledged on this pod multiple times that Jason Tatum's biggest growth this season is that he's become a better passer. But he's still not that that sort of wing that can just be a de facto point guard at the same time, right? Like the like the Lucas or the LeBrons of the world. So there is this one hole on the team. And as the playoff series have gone on, the opponents have been better and better at exploiting that. We've seen more full-court presses, more aggressive traps, more things that would test this one weakness. Yeah, you know, it's true, right? They're not losing, they're not behind in these finals because of their defense, right? They're doing, despite Steph Curry's explosion and all those things, 
they're doing their job on defense, right? If they scored at their normal rate, they'd be winning the series. It's the offense that's the problem. And you're absolutely right about the lack of a true lead ball handler, right? A Chris Paul type or a LeBron James type or a Luka type at the most elite level. But, you know, even at a less elite level in some of these championship teams like Draymond Green being a good ball handler, a hub for the offense, right? And the Celtics have a whole bunch of people who are well above average, but not quite lead ball handler in the NBA finals level, right? Jason Tatum, above average. Marcus Smart is above average. Al Horford is an above average post playmaker, but he is not Draymond Green, you know? And, and you're right, that's, that weakness is being exploited. But to be frank, and every team says this, and it's almost unfair to bring this up in the playoffs, but a fully healthy Rob Williams, and we're not even talking about this, right? Their defense is so dominant when he actually is at even 90% in moments of this series that if he was healthy, I think this series would be over. And the fact that he is not quite there or he only can be his truly dominant shutdown self for part of games in combination with the lack of a truly elite ball handler is their problem, right? Their defense is not quite good enough to be 2004 Pistons level and completely shut down the other team to win regardless of their offense. And their offense is not consistent enough to win when their defense is not a completely shut down defense. I like the way you framed that there, Vivek. I have a question about Rob Williams. So it's clear that just from between him being an incredible vertical threat and just being this monster that they do get real value when he's there. He's not 100%. One of the problems they have right now is that Grant Williams, who played a huge role in the playoffs in previous rounds, especially in the Milwaukee series, has really declined this series and and is frankly becoming borderline unplayable. So what's the solution here? I mean, do you play more Horford at the five? Do you just ride out Rob Williams and hope that he's got enough in, in the tank left? I just feel like the wear and tear is starting to show a bit on this Celtics team, the impact of them going through those two grueling series before this. So it's almost like Udoka has a a couple of difficult choices to make here, and and none are really clear. There's like an obvious thing that needs to be done. Honestly, I don't think you change anything, right? We talked about the Celtics being who they are. The Golden State Warriors are also who they are, right? They have moments where... Andrew Wiggins is the best player in the game, but he's not going to be the best player in the game every single game. I would be amazed if he was the best player in the game in game six or game seven. I don't expect it. And if he is, we're definitely going to lose, right? Steph Curry is not going to be ice cold, but he's also not going to be game four Steph Curry. He's going to play well, really well in one of these games. And in the other game, he might play average Steph Curry in the playoffs, which is still really good, but not enough to carry this version of the Golden State Warriors. And Gary Payton, Junior is not going to, or the third, is not going to make a three, make all his free throws, while Jason Tatum, who's a 95% free throw shooter in the playoffs, misses four free throws, right? All of these things, if they go back to average, each of these games is a coin flip, right? The problem is that's a one-fourth chance for the Celtics to win and a three-fourth chance for the for, for the Warriors to win. <laughs> right. I was about to say. <laughs> So you mentioned Jason Tatum. Please tell me what the hell is going on with this man right now. 
Because there were times in this playoff run when he was going head-to-head against the likes of Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, Giannis, where it seemed indisputable that this guy was a top five NBA player, maybe even a top three NBA player. That's how you know some of the discussion was around him. He has not been good, especially the first four games. I, I, you can frankly say he was just bad. And in game five, he, he found a shot a little bit. I still don't think he's doing what needs to be done to win a championship. Like that's the, the performance game for your best player. It's to the point that had they, you know, won this series with everything being the same, I think he would almost certainly not have been the finals MVP. Cause I mean, Jalen Brown's outplayed him. You could argue a couple of guys have outplayed him on, on the Celtics so far. So what's happened to him? You know, I love Jason Tatum, but I disagreed with the sentiment that he was a top five player. He's probably a top 10 player who in certain games at certain times can be, can, can equal Giannis, can equal Durant, can equal Curry. But he is not those players, right? Steph Curry is showing what a true top-level talent this league can do in this playoffs, right? Or in these finals in particular. That is that is the type of player who is a top, quote-unquote, top-five player. It doesn't matter if the defense is throwing five guys at him, right? The best defense in the entire league is, is completely focused on shutting him down. He's still scoring amazingly. Right. I don't think Jason Tatum's quite at that level. Like if you flip the teams between Curry and Tatum, I think the Curry led Celtics win easily while the Warriors probably do not. Right. Well, I, I agree with that. No question. Right. The The problem is the Celtics really only need the Jason Tatum we've seen so far in the playoffs before the finals. Like even just an average Jason Tatum would probably have them winning this series right now. They may have already closed this out. So what's preventing him from even getting to that level? Forget the top three level that he's shown at, at, at moments or top five level. How about just the standard Jason Tatum offensive package? Where is that gone? And, and what's going on? Is it something defensively? Is he, is he hurt somehow? I mean, there's a lot of speculation, but very few answers from what I've seen. I mean, he might be banged up a little bit in the shoulder or something like that here or there. Probably he's also tired. There was this crazy stat from the Rigger that said Jason Tatum has played more minutes in this playoff series than any player since LeBron James in like the 2013 NBA Finals, you know, or the NBA, uh, the, the, that playoff um, stretch. So he is, he should be tired, right? He's playing 42 to 44 minutes a game, and I think that's affecting him. A, that gives me more respect for just how inhuman LeBron James has been over these playoff runs in the last decade. Because when have we said, oh, LeBron looks tired or LeBron is a little bit dinged up here and there? It's almost never, right? It doesn't matter if he played 48 minutes in a game seven of the conference finals. He comes back in game one of, of the NBA finals and plays the best game of his entire life, right? He's so that's LeBron James, right? Jason Tatum is a normal basketball player. He's not inhuman like that. So he gets tired. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is he's a little bit more inconsistent some of, than some of these other superstars. But inconsistent's okay. You know, if Jason Tatum showed up in game in game five for one quarter, they win the series, right? He needs to be a top five player for at least one game this playoffs. And he hasn't done it yet. And if he doesn't do that, we're not. they're not going to win the finals. That's just how it is, right? Your best player, it doesn't matter if their entire defense is focused on you. you got to have one out-of-body experience if you're going to win the NBA finals. Yeah, I would argue that maybe even they need two great games out of him, game six, game seven. I expect 
Boston to hopefully close out games, not close out, but hold serve in game six because their crowd's going to go crazy. I think the pressure will be on Golden State maybe a little bit there. But even still, they're probably going to need Tatum to do something more than he's been doing. And game seven on the road, there is no chance if it comes to that, that they win this without a truly unbelievable performance. If you look at NBA Finals history, game sevens on the road are so infrequently won. And when they are, it it really does take an otherworldly performance from at least one player on your team. You know, fame, the most recent time obviously was 2016 when the, the Cavs beat the Warriors in Oracle. But of course, that's one of the great playoff performances, you know, culminating in one of the great series by LeBron. And again, like you said, he doesn't need to have seven games like that, even four games like that. He just needs to have one or two. I'm just wondering if something schematically that's happening that's preventing him a little bit. I don't really see anything. I see a lot of switching. I see a little bit more trapping than maybe I would have expected. They're not they're not quite afraid of him as a passer as much as as you would think, given how well the Celtics team has passed throughout the playoffs. But there's really nothing that I look I look at it and say, oh, this is what's shutting this guy down right now. He's just even his shot profile is relatively okay compared to what it's been in the past. Probably a few too many mid rangers for my liking. Overall, I think he's dipping in a bit too much into that Kobe package in terms of shot selection, and he's not a Kobe level shot maker. So I I would I would like a little more threes, a little more drives, a little less, you know fadeaway twos that he's been taking but overall i don't really see how he's struggling this much unless he's just ice cold or or frankly just hurt i don't think there's any schematic changes like you said you know what i'd prefer is honestly to save his legs and energy a little bit fine take some more pull-up threes when gary payton is is, is guarding you right he's he's been shooting i think almost 50 percent from three of these playoffs and something like 30 percent or 35 percent from two and he's got six inches on Gary Payton, right? So just take those shots. It's okay. You're a great three-point. If Steph took those shots, we'd all be like, sure, that's fine, right? The amount of daylight they're giving Steph. These playoffs, Tatum's been almost a better shooter, right? So take those shots, save your legs a little bit. And I would prefer that to a Marcus Smart three, or a little bit of a contested Jason, Jason Tatum three versus an uncontested Marcus Smart three. I think I, my gut says, Tatum, take more of those shots. It's okay if you miss a few. Um but other than that, they just, you know, they just have to make their shots and play a little bit better. I don't think I'd play him 44 minutes. He's getting tired. He needs to play 40 minutes, and somehow the Celtics need to survive for those eight other minutes. And if they don't, again, they're going to lose. That's that's how it's going. Um, you talked about Grant Williams. This is just a bad series for him. And again, that's cre- all credit to Steph, right? Grant Williams against almost any other guard in the entire league is a perfectly fine switch defender. He can't guard Steph Curry. And Steph Curry has done this to so many bigs around the league who would survive against almost anyone else. But he's singularly capable of making even a very, very good defender like Grant Grant Williams not playable. That's fine. Play Derek White 40 minutes a game. I'm okay with that. Derek White's been great. Yeah, and I think the other thing is what Grant Williams is best at to me is as a big man who can hold up when he switched onto a wing or just flat out in the post, like he did against Giannis. They don't really have that profile of player on this team. Like at their absolute best, it's Draymond of the five who at times didn't even look like he wants to shoot the basketball. So the value of someone like Grant Williams dips considerably. Now the other thing he can do is, is 
hit threes, but he's been shooting really poorly in the finals as well. So I actually think at this point, you just can't afford any minutes with him out there. I, I really do think that he should be yanked from the rotation. And every plus minus number bears that out as well. There's just no more time to, to sort of persist with the strategy that's not working. I think it's, he can play when Steph Curry's off the off the court. That's okay. You know, it, maybe, maybe the problem is then you have Poole who can also eviscerate him in the same way potentially. But I'm willing to take that bet. You know, isolate uh, isolate Poole against Grant Williams. See what happens. That's okay. Um, but you got to survive those eight minutes somehow. Grant Williams can shoot some threes, do a very ugly post up here or there. That's fine. You got to survive. <laughs> you got to survive. That's and, and talk so much shit while doing it. There's very yeah. few players in the NBA that are just more annoying than Grant Williams. It's like a matchup between two of the most annoying big men in the NBA and Draymond and and Grant Williams. And that's not me saying that. That's what people around the NBA say about these guys. <laughs> It's just a thing. And you're, you're right about the Celtics wearing down, right? And I think that's what this is the downside of them being who they are, right? They should have closed out the the Heat two games ago, right? And they let Jimmy Butler go wild in game six. And then they had to play a tough contested game seven. And they're tired from that. Same thing with the Giannis series. They probably should have won that in six. And they didn't. Um, for, this, for similar reasons, they lost games that they should have won. And now they're paying some of the consequences. But the Warriors also historically have worn down over long physical playoff series, especially Steph. Um, so I know I mentioned the odds at the beginning of, of, of the series being a coin flip 50-50 each game. But honestly, I think the chance of the Celtics winning, maybe just this being a homer and a little bit of a believer in their ability to fight adversity, I still think it's a 50-50 shot that they win this series. And if they lose, you know, that sucks because – this is a relatively weak playoff field compared to the average. And I don't know if they'll get as good a chance again to win a title um, when Middleton comes back healthy and the Bucks are full strength, when the Clippers perhaps are a little bit better next year, when Luka gets a running mate. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that can happen that, may, that would prevent them from being in this situation again. Um, so they need to take advantage of, of their opportunity. And again, Golden State, aside from, from Steph, is not particularly scary. And I expect Wiggins to regress. I expect Steph to get a little bit tired. I expect Draymond to play a little bit better because as the series gets uglier and more physical, that's sort of where he does a little bit better. Um, I expect Gary Payton to play worse, and I expect Poole to play better. And if all of those things average out, the Celtics can still win. I want to turn for a second. We'll stick on the Celtics. Uh, turn to Jalen Brown, who started off this series, frankly, being the best player on, on the floor for Boston. But somehow in the last few games, I I found that weirdly Clay Thompson, who otherwise has struggled on defense in this playoffs, has done a decent job on him. I think he has an element of physicality still to him. And, and Jalen Brown, is, while being a very athletic guy, he's not this guy with like a lightning quick first step where he can just blow by a guy either, right? So it, it's been a struggle for Jalen Brown the last couple of games. What are you seeing for, from Brown? Because especially with Tatum playing as poorly as he has, they desperately need Jalen Brown to dominate his matchup. Jalen is also tired. He also is playing 42 to 44 minutes in a lot of these games. And I think he's just carrying too much of a burden. And that's why... In the last game, in the third quarter, he played great. And in the fourth quarter, he did not. Right? Um, and he does have a lightning quick first step, actually. I would disagree with that assessment. But 
when he's tired, he's not quite as lightning quick anymore. And the other thing with him is his jumper is really important to him. So when his legs go a little bit, he's not making those shots anymore. And the Celtics are weirdly dependent, like you said, from an offensive perspective on his little pull-up mid-range jump shot. And when that's not coming down, it's a problem. Yeah, just to clarify what I mean by lightning quick first half, I'm talking about the guys that give the now slower-footed Klay Thompson problems. Like, look what John Morant just was blowing by him over and over again. There's just le- there's levels to this. He's not, he's, not a, he's not a lightning quick point guard, right? You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I'm just saying, like, so he... He is a slasher, but he's not a slasher in the mold of a guy that just blows by their dude, and then you know you just have no chance if you if you unless you're just extremely fast as well. And that kind of player, those lightning bug players, are the ones who've really given Thompson you know, trouble in this playoffs. But this is not really the profile of anybody on the Celtics, so he's weirdly been okay on defense and on offense. There are times where he looks bad, and there are other times where he's going to hit a big three at a critical moment and and get you, you know, eighteen points that are needed or, or just a low twenty point game, but yet hit all the big shots in that game. And the thing is with Clay Thompson, if we can turn a little bit just more to him and specifically, it doesn't really matter how badly he's shooting; he's always going to have gravity. And this is the thing that I, I feel like is very underrated about the truly great shooters. It's not even about how many shots are going in. Like, you know, Steph the other night missed every shot, but the defense treated him like he was going to make every single shot. And the same issue with Klay Thompson. Does he get Steph low gravity? No, but he's still a guy that you don't leave open. And thus, he has value on offense even when, you know, he's not hitting that shot. And and he's been all right this series. So I feel like Klay Thompson, while probably being at best the third best player on the Warriors in this finals, is still at least a competent player in a way that it wasn't entirely clear that he would be a couple series ago. And he's still got the championship confidence, right? There's There's been a few times where the Celtics have got on runs and Thompson will pull up for a little mid-ranger and make it. There, there's been several moments in the last two games where that has happened. And he's, he's he's got the confidence to take those shots and he's been making them enough in this series where it's mattered. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about Andrew Wiggins, Vivek? If I told you, I would say even one year ago, maybe even earlier this season, that he could be the second best player on a team that's up 3-2 to two in the NBA Finals, you would have laughed at me. Andrew Wiggins, a guy who put up st- empty stats for his entire career in Minnesota, a guy who had all the athletic tools but could never quite put it together from an actual winning basketball standpoint, is now an absolute crucial piece of this team. His defense has been phenomenal. And offensively, he's been their second most reliable player in these finals. And in game five, when Steph could not buy a shot, and, you know, Steph, in every finals he's had previously, he's always had this one game where he's ice cold, and this was his game, game five. That's a game where you have to win if you're the Boston Celtics. Could not make a single three-point shot in that game. Andrew Wiggins put the offense on his back at times in that game. It's true. But again, I think in this series, in that game, it was more the Celtics being um, having a terrible offense of their own than anything Golden State did. The Celtics basically sold out for to chase Steph even more so than they had done early in the series. And that opened things up for everyone else, including Andrew Wiggins. And I think Andrew Wiggins, I've always thought he'd make a great third banana. Right, Jimmy. Jimmy's mistake actually was probably leaving Minnesota and making him the third banana and, and having Towns as, as 1A slash 2. 
to, to Jimmy because he's a perfect dirt banana. He doesn't always show up, which weirdly now he's extremely consistent. Um, but he sometimes can be the second best player, maybe for a few moments here here. Otherwise, he can be the first best player on your team. The difference I see in, in these playoffs is it's none of that. It's not the defense. It's not the shooting. It's the effort, right? The thing that Andrew Wiggins always lacked was the drive. And on that court in game four and game five, I don't know if it's an energy thing, but it felt to me that he like he wanted it more than anyone else on that court. And you can see that by his rebounding numbers. And he was getting these ridiculous rebounds. They're all effort. He was jumping over like two or three guys and one-handing boards at times. Like it was unbelievable. It's it was like a, like a four. I don't think they win if it's not for some a couple of key rebounds that he got. hundred percent. He was making Charles Barkley rebounds in traffic. I, I did not know he was capable of that. And that's all effort, right? That is the thing that's surprising. But you know, in fairness, Andrew Wiggins has never been in this position, right? He's been in Minnesota on these middling teams, you know, with coaches who are not necessarily the best coaches or or people he doesn't get along with perfectly. He's miscast as a as a, a second leading as a second leading scorer on the team, and now he's in the finals for the first time in his career. He's in the playoffs in a meaningful team with the shot to win everything for the first time in his career. You know, human nature being human nature, I'm not entirely surprised that he's giving it its all. Now he's in an environment where, where, uh, where he feels he feels motivated, and that, that's a credit to Golden State, and that's a credit to him um, for because I, I would not be worried about a motivation in his perspective. You know, in a player who has never been in this situation, you expect them more to wilt. It's not a motivation thing. It's a, it's a a fear factor or a nervousness factor. And to his credit, he has not shown those things at all. One of the things that I've been thinking a little bit about when it, about this Warriors team, and specifically with Wiggins, is how exactly did the Warriors manage to acquire this player? And it goes back to that. It really goes back to them trading Durant. Durant could have left. Instead, they agreed to effectively a sign-in trade to get some assets back, which they eventually parlayed into num- numerous things, including Andrew Wiggins. And really what that means is that their owner, who is already facing the highest luxury tax bill in the NBA, was willing to dip even deeper into that tax. You know, Brian Windhorst the other day took a lot of flack for saying basically that the Golden State Warriors, you have to compete with their payroll when you face them. And it's actually true. Their payroll is so much higher than anybody else's. There is this sort of narrative that it's like staff at a bunch of nobodies. And I, I, I will say this is one of the weaker Warriors cast to go to a, an NBA Finals in, in the Steph era. But it's still a very expensive roster. And I think most ownership groups, even relatively rich teams like a team like the Lakers, although there's a lot of debate about how wealthy their actual uh, owners are, but they make a lot of money. We've seen them balk at d- dipping deeper into the luxury tax and letting valuable players go. Here... The Golden State Warriors, when they knew they were tearing up this team and it would take a couple years to come back, they kept taking on money and taking on more assets and then using the bird rights, the players they had to go well into the luxury tax. And now, at the very least, well, we could argue that it's not the most optimal team for Steph, but it's definitely a talented team that has guys that they shouldn't have been able to acquire. So they've been able to avoid that pitfall of, of a team that's going into their 30s while still being able to retain some younger talent by virtue of, you know, be willing to pay this luxury tax bill. 
I mean, it, it, it's obviously a competitive advantage, and otherwise, a normal team would not be able to assume Wiggins' salary when you're already playing three max contracts with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, right? You you obviously can't get Wiggins, but it's more than that. It's also perhaps they have more talent in terms of recruiting also. Um, I mean, their player assessment and player development also gets a lot of credit here. Jordan Poole makes two point. $3 million. Otto Porter makes $2.9 million. Gary Payton makes, makes a very low salary in addition. And all of those players are shining and coming through in these playoffs. But you're absolutely right. You know, at this level, it's all about the little edges, right? The difference between these two teams is not that much. The difference in this series is just a few shots in game four. That's it. If, if Steph misses one or two threes and, and, um, Smart or so or or Horford or Derek White or someone else makes a three here or there. That that game is a different story and the series is completely different. Um, so any small edge that you get, whether with through salary, whether it's through high, to through paying your um, your your draft team more, uh, uh, paying your trainers more, any of these kind of things, make a gigantic difference. And a team, you know, a good example of a team where that may not be the case and that has consistently hurt them in the playoffs. Um, is a team like the Suns, who historically were unwilling to pay Joe Johnson, who are now unwilling to pay, probably in fairness, overpay a little bit their franchise center. Um, and that's going to affect their future. They had a shot this year. They were maybe perhaps Chris Paul, quote unquote, getting COVID or something away from, from making it into the, into the conference finals. Uh, but I don't have too much hope for them going down the road because their owner is not going to be willing to spend to keep their current core together. Somehow, Vivek, we've managed to go nearly 30 minutes in this podcast before we really dove into the incredible NBA Finals that Steph Curry's having right now. I mean, I, I get that he had a very poor Game 5, but through his first four games is one of the great NBA Finals performances. And still, I think it's very clear that if, if the Warriors, when we can finally put this Steph Curry doesn't show up in the finals myth to bed. He will very deservingly win the finals MVP. He may, you know, he, people are even talking about it, potentially winning it, even if they lose, which I don't think would happen, but you know, it's yeah, being discussed. They start winning unless Tatum goes supernova. So, so that's going to change that debate. Um, exactly. That's, that's probably right. What is it like just when your team is in a final series facing a guy that has that kind of gravity and is pulling that much attention away just, just walk me through that for a second. What is what is like rooting against Steph Curry in the NBA Finals? You know, I, I watch him, and first of all, Steph Curry is just lovable. Even even as his opponent, you still love the guy. You still love his game. Um, you still respect everything he brings to the table. And again, I watch. I'm never frustrated or hurt when he makes a ridiculous three. I almost just expect it. It's like part of the package that he's going to make these ridiculous threes. I'm not surprised at all. They're not like daggers. The daggers, I feel, are the Jalen Brown going into it, it, into into the paint, losing the ball. The daggers, every <laughs> time he misses, he goes one to two, one or two at the free throw line. Those are the daggers for me. The daggers right. are in Game Four were was were were Wiggins getting this crazy rebound, was Tatum missing a free throw, and Gary Payton making both his free throws. These are the things that are daggers. Weirdly, Steph making a ridiculous like when I'm watching the game the fourth quarter of game four, the whole time that the Golden State Warriors are sticking close, sticking close, 
in my head, we're losing that game because I know Steph Curry is going to make at least two or three ridiculous threes at some point in that quarter. So we need to have a little bit of a lead, a little bit of a cushion so that even when he does the expected thing, it doesn't happen. And as soon as we were tied at three minutes, I said, we're going to lose this game. No question, we're going to lose this game. And that's what happened. We weren't scoring and we're not as good in the crunch. And Steph Curry is the kind of player who doesn't matter what you're doing, doesn't matter what the defense is doing, he's going to make some crazy shots and that you just expect it. The bigger take home for me, rather than being an opponent, is being an NBA fan and just being, just realizing that this guy is probably the best offensive player. I mean, there's some argument for Wilt and Jordan in there, but um, he is probably the best offensive Some player. argument. He's, he's <laughs> a pretty, pretty huge argument for those guys. <laughs> I can't appreciate Wilt because I never watched him play live. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand his uh, his impact as a, as a fan consistently watching him. But I think it's a reasonable argument to make to say Steph Curry is the greatest offensive player of all time. Um, even Jordan, right? I would say Jordan is more consistent. And at the end of a seven-game series where you're beat up and you're getting fouled all over the place, I'd probably pick Jordan over Steph scoring 35 points in a game seven, right? Because Steph is gets beat up a little bit. He gets injured. He gets tired. You can throw him off his rhythm a little bit. And Jordan, you can't do that, clearly, even in a rougher 90s series or things. But Steph, healthy, not injured, not tweaking his ankle here or there. In a single game, I think he's probably the greatest offensive player of all time. Um, and it's that's also his gravity, right? For all, as good a player as, as Jordan is, I don't think he had the same offensive gravity that Steph does to the rest of his team just because of his ability to stretch the court to 30, 35 feet. Yeah, I I can't go that far or even close, to be honest with you, to to the idea that Steph is a greater offensive player than than let's just stick with Michael Jordan. It just I, I look at for all that Steph does, his height is still a limitation. It's it prevents him from being able to do certain things. There's a reason why they went after Kevin Durant when switching defenses gave that, that 2016 Warriors team a lot of trouble in but, but conference finals and finals. I would argue that 2000 Steph was like 90% in the in that 2016 Warriors series. And you can't separate this from the player, right? The fact that LeBron and Jordan just never got injured and they were never 90%, they were always just amazing. It didn't matter what the team, other team was doing for him is part of the reason why they're better players than Steph Curry. All I'm saying is that 2016 finals, if Steph hadn't tweaked his knee in, in the first round series, I think Golden State just destroys them. Because Steph was not quite his, to use your quote, his jitterbug or waterbug speed. Um, he was a little bit slower, and that affected his ability to create distance. But the, the thing is, ultimately, with MJ, there's just a level, there's a reason that if you look at the top 15 or so greatest players of all time, there's very few of them that are even under you know, 6'5". And the higher up you go, the less of them there are. And it's just because there's a level of physical dominance that you can exert on the game when you're Michael Jordan and you're driving and getting through contact and just finishing. And, and just the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, Jordan's final numbers are just unbelievable. Not to mention his playoff number. He's the highest playoff scoring average of all time at 33 points per game, which is insane. So he's just, to me, like, we're talking about offense. Like, I, I think he has literally every single thing you could possibly want from an offensive player, including the perfect balance on his jumper. Like, just, like, 
the perfect cross or perfect handles, left, right, to, everything, no, post game. You have to take into account team effect. And it's weird because, again, I'm I not feel sure, you. You, you. You know, if you look at the offensive rating of the Golden State Warriors, even non Durant time periods in the playoffs, right? Sir Steph, his individual numbers can't compare to Jordan ever, right? But his right. team numbers, his offensive ratings, were better than any of the 90s Bulls teams. And part of that's era, part of that's three points. Part shot. of that's also an understanding of the math now of the game more. But yeah. I, I still I think that people... Not just understanding people... the math, right? It's actually Steph as a player changed the game to, to do that, to create right. ridiculous offenses. But I agree with that. And I think he's certainly in the discussion as one of the great offensive players. I just feel like there's a, there's a way that he scores. Obviously, mostly from you know three, and he can he can drive off of that. But like with MJ and, and and not just MJ, there's others I would throw in the mix here too. They have a different kind of gravity that isn't accounted for enough, in my opinion. In that, basically, if you leave them one on one, they're just going to score every single freaking time. So you basically have to tend to double at them. And and certainly in his era, where there wasn't even pre doubling because there was no zones, that guy would just come late way too often. He'd just be biased guy, and then that is a form of gravity too. I, I just think when you talk about the greatest, and we're mentioning, I, I the only thing that matters in this kind of discussion is playoff basketball because it's just a different thing. Who was consistently great in playoff basketball? You even take Jordan aside. There's other guys who are in the running, I would say, above Steph. I mean, you could even throw the guys who are the great passers and scorers, like guys like LeBron, or the great post players like the Kareem types. Uh, you know, like they're, they're so consistent at what they did for so long. And then you can make it's like, right? So Kareem, you know, one shot or one playoff game, if you definitely needed 25 points, Kareem is there, right? But it's just right. overall impact. I don't no, think, I feel you. And like, it's a reasonable argument. It's one I have to think about, which, which means that you're not like saying something that's insane. I, I just, I just feel like they're still as great as he is. And he is, in my opinion, one of the twelve versatile greatest players ever, and he wins this. He's you know he's gets higher every single time I watch him play, basically. But uh, like I, I have him like in the same discussion of the likes of Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Olajuwon. He's somewhere in that mix of guys to me. And so I, I, this is no respect. And he and let's let's be real. He's the greatest ever at the most important skill in basketball. And it's not his three point shooting. He's also the greatest free throw shooter ever, too, on top of that. So he's just the greatest shooter ever. So that's when you're the greatest at anything, that's an incredible thing. And but, you know, the other thing that that this watching him has cemented for me, post Kobe Duncan era, I think there's three players who are who stand alone above everyone else as as sort of the best players of that era. And some people might come along in the next few years, but it's very clear to me it's LeBron by himself, and then it's Durant and Curry. And then everyone else is sort of a step down from those two. For sure. But the thing that I've realized this year is I actually think it's Curry than Durant. Because it, the more I think about it, and, and I, I've always been a Durant's the second best guy person. I, I just think that the for everything you said, like if you look at the actual numbers when they played together, Curry was almost hurt in a weird way by from a public perception standpoint by Durant coming because Durant was the guy who got the finals MVPs. Durant was the guy who got the sort of the flashier numbers. But all the numbers that when you look beyond just box score showed that they were just better with Steph there. They were better without Duran than when he played. Yeah, I mean, so... You're ignoring this, right? If I give you a seven-game series at any point in the last... Since 2008, since Curry was drafted, at any yeah. point, seven-game series, NBA Finals, I'm going to pick Durant every single time if I had to pick one of the two on my team. 
just because Durant. I would have said that too because of the defense and everything else. But I don't know. Now, now I'm starting to doubt that a little it's bit. It's just the defense. It's the physicality you talked about, right? Durant yeah, yeah. also doesn't sure. really get injured very often outside that. And, and he's unguardable. He's actually unguardable. Like there, Steph is like very hard to guard, but like there is a way you can actually stop him. I mean, it's, it, it's been done at least one game every NBA Finals in the six finals that he's been there, right? He's always had this dud game. Part it doesn't happen that much with Kevin Durant. has natural variance to it. Right, and, right, but but that but that's that's what I was saying before. But when you talk about him being the greatest player, it's like, but he's his everything is predicated on his shot, right? Like ultimately, and and that, he's amazing handle. It's, it's he's an incredible floater. His his sort of rainbow teardrop that he he maybe was the first guy I really seen do that consistently. He's got a lot more to his game than just shooting. I'm just saying that like it's all predicated on that. So if his shot's off, he's going to be off. Whereas Durant. Not just Durant, well, but like so there's a couple of guys who are just the full consistent. Of shooting is also true. His peaks are also higher because his shot making is so ridiculous. When he's making everything, his peak is almost higher than everyone else. Even though he's, but is, is that even true? Like his are his peak playoff games? You know, you mentioned LeBron. Like that's a guy. Like I, his LeBron's peak offensive playoff games are like insane. You know, like I like and and Durant is, has some like those too, although not maybe as much as you might think. So anyway, ultimately, I, it feels like I'm criticizing a guy that I'm mostly just in awe of. I, I, you know, whether he's the greatest offensive player or not, I need to think about. But one thing is true is we're we're so lucky to be in an era where we watched a man walk into the NBA, and through the sheer uniqueness of his game, literally changed the NBA. And who knows how many copycats he created, and yet none of those copycats, at least that we've seen so far, are even remotely in his caliber as a shooter you know i felt the same way as as someone who's in a profession that involves like it involves a lot of training and involves manual skills and things like that i don't see how it's possible that steph is just so much better than anyone else who's ever done this it's like if you graph him right he's all by himself by some distance and i just don't conceptually you know, as a human, I don't understand how that's possible. Why is this one guy? It's not that he's, it's not his physical talents, right? It's not like he's bigger, stronger, all these other things, which I can conceptualize. Why is he so much better at shooting than everyone else who's ever played the game? And still, like you said, 10 years after he's been in the league, no one is even close. It's not even close. And the other thing that's really interesting, I think he's redefined what constitutes a fundamental jump shot. Because his jumper isn't even technically like a perfect Jerry West style, Clay Thompson style jump shot. It's got a little bit quicker release, a little bit more arc to it. But I, I almost feel like that's now the way that people should try to shoot. Like you should try to emulate the way the greatest shooter ever shoots. So even in that sense, he's changed the game. And the biggest thing between Steph, if you compare him to the other great shooters, the Reggies and the Rays. And those guys could hit on the move. They could hit stance, so they could do off the ball. But they couldn't quite shoot off the dribble the way that this guy can do. That is really the differentiator, that he's still a 45%, basically, year-in, year-out, three-point shooter while taking so many shots off of one or two dribbles or off a step back or leaning wow, or just doing these ridiculous things. One guy draped behind him and one guy draped in front of him and one guy draped on the side of him. It's just, it's outrageous. Yeah. It's outrageous. And then the distance thing. Like, you know, there's the Lillard types who shoot from forever away as well. But Steph, he just feels like you have to pay attention from the moment he dribbles across the half court. And 
that's how the Andrew Wiggins of the world, you mentioned that earlier, how that's probably why he's having a good series because it's a little easier on him when you don't have the attention. I, I want to turn really quickly, though, to this to what the Celtics have done against him defensively. Vivek, I thought early in this series, and part of it's just adjusting to how unique the Golden State Warriors are, I did not like their game plan. I thought there was way too much drop. There was way too much times where just it took one pick for Steph Curry to get a wide open three. You saw guys like Horford, guys like Rob Williams, just be a step or two further away from him than they needed to be. As the series progressed, they've become more and more aggressive on either flat out trapping him or just switching everything. And I think that's, it could have maybe cost him a game earlier this series. I think they executed to absolute perfection, maybe even too much so in game five. You, you know, but, but, that, but people have noted this. Those games where Steph Curry was getting a few shots here and there where he was wide open, they won those games except game one. They won game two and game three. The games where they played better defense on him, even game four when Steph Curry was making, he was just making insane shots. It wasn't that you know, in, in game four, they had the right game plan. The man was just making absurd things. In game five, they had the, the right game plan, but the Warriors have seen enough of the classic switch against them, trap Steph stuff, that they have the counters ready. So maybe they're better off living with Steph making a few of those shots and not A, exhausting themselves, chasing him around as much, and mm. B, um, not letting anyone else get off, right? And I, I, I still think that you had it right earlier in the pod when you talked about they did enough on defense, really the offense that failed them. To me, if you get the game five defensive performance like two more times, and you just have the Celtics play to what their cable play. I'm not saying like an exceptional game. They should be able to win those two games. The question is, does doing the former make the latter more difficult because of the fatigue it creates? I mean, again, I think this series has just been about a few possessions, and we talk about strategy and all this other stuff. It could be 3-2. It could be series over for either team, honestly, already. It's... Yeah. Rob Williams' injury has made this series close. I think Rob Williams being 100%, this series is gone and it's not close. There's margin for error and all these things. And right now it's just a close series. It's going to hang on a few random bounces here or there. And I respect the Warriors for, again, for Wiggins, for that level of effort he's putting in, for Gary Payton, for making the threes and making the free throws, coming off this horrendous injury. Wiggins' defense on Tatum. Steph just being his usual amazing self. I don't even think Steph is doing anything exceptional. This is just who he is. Um, and we'll just see how the rest of the series goes. You know, one other thing that, to go back to what you're saying, what watching Steph makes me realize, or how do I feel when I'm watching these games with Steph, it also reminds me of just how outrageous those Durant Warrior teams were. Like, we're watching a finals-level team, which Steph being normal. Actually, you know, Seth being 95% of what he was before. Clay Thompson being... I, I don't agree with that. I, I think this is the best Seth's ever played in the finals by a big... Whatever. Steph, Steph being 100% of what he was before. Um, Clay Thompson being 70%. Draymond being 70%. Wiggins basically being 110% of Harrison Barnes. And there's still an amazing team who, who can light up the best defense in the league. A, a, probably one of the best defenses in the last 15 years since those Pistons teams. You add Durant to this, and it's just, it's, you add Durant to this, and you make Clay Thompson his normal self. And it's, it was just, it was just so absurd for those four, those three or four years. 
it was the least interesting I ever found the NBA in my life. It, it I know that they ultimately ended up getting taken a seven by Houston. I know that they ultimately lost to Toronto and those half the, the stars were injured on their team. But it did not feel like anyone had a fair fight. Like I think of that 2017 Cavs team. That was actually like one of the best offensive teams in NBA history. And they weren't a very good defensive team and that ultimately was their undoing. But really just the undoing was that they just had no chance against the talent gap. Yeah, Even with I, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, etc. Still so, all the all the hatred that Harden is takes, I still give him respect for being part of the only team to truly threaten a, that help that team while it was healthy. Yeah, and if not for an unbelievably poor shooting night by the Houston Rockets supporting players, not for Chris Paul getting hurt, if not for, in my opinion, to this day, I will say to anyone, the single worst officiated game I've ever seen since Sacramento Kings versus LA Lakers in 2001, if not for all those things, there's a very good chance the Rockets would have gone to the NBA Finals and probably would have been favored against I don't Cleveland. actually believe that. I think... I think- the Warriors would have still beat them, but the fact that they even threatened such a ridiculous team is is right. is, is is just gives me a level of respect for Harden and Chris Paul that normally I would reserve for for players who have won finals. I and think instead it, for those two guys, it, what's, it's really fascinating. Is I mean, Harden already has a reputation, I think, well deserved as being a, a very poor playoff performer, and Chris Paul who now has had just yet another series, 2-0 series blown, it, it's it's become one of those things now where those guys who could have become, you know, just gone up another level in NBA history just by beating that Warriors team have kind of gone the other way as notorious playoff chokers. Right. I, I, I think, again, some of, the, some of the choking, some of the worries about Chris Paul's durability in the playoffs, I think all of that's fair, but we've gone a little bit too far in that. Uh, in, in that direction, bemoaning their skills as players. I think that play, single playoff series against that Warriors team tells me shows me their greatness. That they're truly great NBA players who deserve some level of respect in the annals of NBA history because of that playoff series and because they were able to... Oh, the only team that really threatened this just utterly outrageous Warriors team. So Vivek, let's close out on this then. Gun to your head or to your heart as a Celtics fan that's Celtics been seven. through some rough years. Celtics at seven, is that what you're saying? Celtics at seven. All right, you heard it right here. I, I know the odds are against it. I know the, uh, the numbers are against it. Uh, my brain tells me that's not true. That's true, but I'm a fan, right? I got to be unreasonable. I got to believe in the team, um, even when, even with their warts and faults and um, and when they're in a dire predicament. And so far this season, they have rewarded that kind of faith. They've done it again and again and again and again. So I got to believe that they're going to do it one more time. You heard it here first, guys. Celtics in seven. We're all rooting for you, unless you're a Warriors fan, in which case you're not, or maybe a Lakers fan who's hearing yeah, the Celtics. Yeah, the whole rooting against it because they hate Boston. Really? I don't know. I feel like there's there's a decent segment of people who don't like the Warriors as well. There's some who love them. I, I, I don't really know how... I don't get a sense of how like America is feeling on this one. I feel like these are two teams that have their share of haters. Two teams that have their share of fans as well. So what what is definitely true is I think we have a very couple compelling matchups coming up here if this goes to Game 7. I, I really hope it does. 
Game sevens and NBA finals. I mean, what possibly is better than that? It's one of the, it's like a Super Bowl for us guys who are who are NBA nerds. And well, well, to be honest, game sevens have historically been terrible. Actually, I think the only game sevens in the finals that have been great um, was probably the LeBron Cavs twenty sixteen NBA finals, and even that, both teams did not play that well. There was just. Yeah, there was huge droughts in that in the fourth quarter in particular. I, I think one that was very well played that's kind of been forgotten uh, is the 2013 NBA Finals where I think LeBron has hit a million shots and then but it's but so were the Spurs and then Duncan misses like a point blank layup and then LeBron hits the, the game winner. That's that, true, but that series, that game, if you compared it to the other games in the series, was not as good. It was just those are two. It, was still, it still like came down to the wire. You know what I mean? Like it was really close. Like it really like if Duncan makes that layup, it go. You know, it could be a completely different story. I mean, well, what I remember again, my heart remembers from that game more than my brain remembers. Is there was not one second that I thought LeBron was going to lose that game after the miracle of Game Six. Yeah, the, the other Game Seven. You know, recent memory was the Celtics Lakers game seven, where you know Kobe was six for twenty four, but yet got a bunch of rebounds, and you know Artest hits a big three, and Fisher annoyingly hits a big shot, and Gasol is pretty dominant on the boards. And next thing you know, they win that game. The one that Doc Rivers to this day says that it's because they didn't have Kendrick Perkins, which is increasingly laughable as we know how Kendrick Perkins' career played out. <laughs> You say that, but you know, against that Lakers team and again, Their size was like such yeah. a problem. Yeah, so it's, I feel you. Why, it's just, it's just why, funny to me. I complain about the Rob Williams thing, but you know, honestly, that's true for almost that's true for like a hundred teams in the last twenty years, right? Yeah, so, you can always make the well, what if this guy was healthier argument. Yeah, but yeah, so I, I'm just rooting for a game seven. I don't care how well or badly it's played. I think these teams are really even. You're hundred percent right that it could have gone four one either way. So that tells me that we deserve a game seven, and I hope the basketball gods allow it to happen. Vivek, thank you for coming on. I'm I'm rooting for you. I am a, a Boston sports hater in general, but for your sakes, I will be rooting for the green. I may or may not have been wearing your Celtics socks that you gave for your wedding to all the green. <laughs> uh, I may not. I've been wearing those for like a week. <laughs> Nice. I see. This is this is how you know that we're we're real basketball nerds when we use uh when I I give my groomsmen actual sports team socks. Actually, my brother's one who got them for everybody, but that's that's how you know us. We got them for all you guys. But hey, man, thanks for coming on. For all you guys listening out there, I hope you're enjoying this NBA Finals. If you have anything you want to say to us, please email us at brownmenwon'tjump at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. Peace.